This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Script the Screen series, for those of you who have never seen it, is a series where we examine the screenplay from the perspective of writers, directors, producers, production designers, editors, actors. Uh, it is sponsored by the UC Santa Barbara Film and Media Department, the Carsey Will Center. Writer director, writer, director, and gaucho, Scott Frank. And, of course, today, Fox Searchlight was a big uh, sponsor for us because they gave us this wonderful movie. The Grand Budapest Hotel has garnered nine Oscar nominations. I'm going to try to memorize them. Picture, director, original screenplay, production design, cinematographer, score, costume, makeup. Can't remember. Uh, original score, editing, I believe editing. So, we, we have two great guests that are very largely responsible for all the success in the movie. Production designer Adam Stockhausen and producer Jeremy Dawson. By the end of the Q&A, we hope to discover how the Grand Budapest Hotel defied every Oscar commandment for getting a nominations. Never release a movie in March. Never release a comedy. Not a Wes Anderson comedy. And you didn't cast Meryl Streep. <laughs> so we really figure out why, what is so special about this one. So I think we'll jump right in. We'll talk with uh, Adam. Uh, Wes Anderson, one of the things I, I, one of my students have talk, come and talk to me, they love about Wes Anderson movies. The production design is a character itself. Mm-hmm. If he really, you know, spends a lot of time with you, how, when you first read the script, what drew you to this story? Uh, it, it was, uh, uh, I mean, the scripts are, are super fun to read. And, and, but, but this one uh, was overwhelming. I mean, it, it is, it's, it's big, and it goes places, and suddenly you're in a monastery, and then you're in the mountains, and you're on trains and in jails and prisons, and then there's a prison escape. You know, it's just, it, you know, my, I kind of had one of those moments reading it. Uh, and that, that was sort of the first... Uh, the so you first were a little thing. terrified at first? Like, yeah, I gotta absolutely. Figure out how to pull all this off. Absolutely. And, uh, but also absolutely. fun. Uh, and Jeremy, you're, as a producer, but you also have a background in visual effects. Yeah, but I mean, I was, he was a little terrified. I was a lot terrified when I saw this. I was like... Okay, it's a great read, but all the time throughout my brain is going like, how the heck are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? And, you know, it's all period. And, of course, like, you know, we don't have, you know, these, these movies are independent movies and they're made, you know, not, in, not at the studio level of scale and budget. And we always just put everything we can on the screen. And, and this was, like, so much to throw at the screen. I was a bit um, trepidatious, for sure. So, artistically, you, were, you love the script as with yeah. Adam, but, like, oh, my God, as producer, i got to find a way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, oh, so, so, all right, so what was your biggest challenges? All right, so you're in pre-production. What was your f- initial biggest challenges for your pre-production, uh, set design? And well, the, the, big, the big thing was, is, is the hotel. The hotel, uh, in, in both of its phases, shot right at the beginning of the schedule. So I mean, that, that, was a pretty, uh, uh, that was a pretty big set, and, uh, and we, we kind of, it was a race through uh, pre-production to get that thing designed and to get it built, and then to figure out uh, uh, how we were going to do the changeover because we actually shot the 60s version of the hotel first and then spent a weekend kind of ripping that away and, and getting the 30s version of the hotel set up and then shooting that. And so that, that was, a, that was a, a big challenge, you know, because we, 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 it, wasn't, it, was a, it was a nice prep, but it wasn't a gigantic prep. 
And then I think the next challenge was, um, so then we had the hotel done, but we were all flat on our backs, exhausted, and then there's the whole rest of the movie to do. So um, we kind of, it was a scramble to get, uh, uh, to get racing ahead again, so that we were ahead of camera to, uh, to shoot the rest of the film. And for first, so how did you find, how did you build the hotel, find the hotel? Was it an existing set? Was it you well, converted? This is, I mean, this is interesting, because we, you know, we, we uh, I don't know if you guys can hear me. If you can't, just go like this. Um, we, we sort of, we, we knew that, you know, Wes, we knew that the, where we shot the hotel and what the hotel was, was going to be the place that we had to shoot the movie. And uh, we also knew that this hotel had to be big and grand enough that we weren't going to be able to just build the entire hotel from scratch. You know, we wouldn't be able to build the, the, a lobby that was big enough. We, otherwise, we'd end up with something that didn't have the scope that this film needed. So we, we looked everywhere. And basically, the way we looked is first we looked on, um, you know, on, on Google, which you guys may have heard of. And we, <laughs> we just we Google scouted in different countries and looked, and looked everywhere we could. And, sort of, and we went through every archive and all, looked for old hotels, grand hotels, and just where they were and were they still open and was there possibly one that was just like sitting there perfect but the doors locked that they would rent to us for <laughs> five months and um, it turned out not to be possible we, we got in a van and, and, we, and we drove all around Europe like we went you know, we had a list of places to check out and we got some location guys and we went out and Adam came, came on one of these trips right? We, and we just drove around Germany and Czech Republic and, and Hungary and we had a list of like, okay, well, there's that castle that we just down in this town. And we'd go to all these places, and we didn't really find anything that was perfect, because either the hotels that we found were in use and or renovated to be functional now, which didn't look right and would have required a lot of work, or we found these grand old buildings, like old institutions and things that were so decrepit that they were amazing if you wanted to have a haunted house movie, but they were not going <laughs> to work for this movie. And then, um, and then, you know, one day we were literally on our way back to Berlin on like the last day of our scouting and uh, we had one more place that we hadn't seen and the, and the location scout said, do you want to go see this, this department store? Um, and we said, well, he said, we can see it till 6 and then they're not going to be there. Well, what time is it? 5.30. How long does it take there? Like 25 minutes. So we got there at 5 to 6 and we walked into that place. And this is Germany, so you could have been like 300 miles away and it was still only 25 minutes. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And Klaus had a heavy foot. Right. But, uh, but we, we got to this place and right away, you know, you know, we could see it had the bones, and it was this big, grand space with an amazing stained glass that was from 1906 or eight or something, right? Mm-hmm. And these amazing marble kind of columns, but the rest of it, it kind of wasn't really there. But you could see from this, it had the scope and the space and a, a great staircase. And Wes and Adam were just sort of started scurrying around and taking pictures and thinking. I was like, okay, this may be it. And then, uh, then of course, you know, these guys were like, okay, great, let's start drawing, let's start figuring this out. And I found out that the building was owned by. Uh, bankrupt company that owed like half a billion dollars in some multi-country <laughs> bankruptcy and I spent like three months trying to get permission to get, to get in there. But, but once we were there that became where we made the movie and, um, and everything else had to follow to be near there to make, the, make it practical. Right. So we talked a little you mentioned before. So you found the space, now you're doing your sketches and you have two different hotels really. Yeah. The old and new. So how does that process work? We have a lot of aspiring students who are curious. How, does, how did you start that process where deciding how you wanted to look each one? Uh, it really started with, um, with maps. You know, it, rather than getting all bogged down into making a fancy model or even really fancy sketches which take a, a big time commitment to do, it was really sort of schematically laying it out and saying, okay, here's the floor plan of, of each floor of this place and what are the parts that we want? You know, we, we know we want a bar and we want a coat check and we want a concierge desk and we want a reception desk and we want 
maybe other stuff. Maybe we want a barbershop, and maybe we want you know all the all these things that could go into the piano. Lobby. A piano, yeah. And how do we how do we lay that all out and and get the action to flow and get it to start matching up with um, these uh, uh, thumbnail uh, drawings that that Wes is starting at the same time. Wes is starting to generate these drawings of moments that he wants shots that he wants to have through each of the sequences of the film. And so you're kind of taking those and taking the ground plan of the place and trying to figure out a literally a roadmap for how to make that happen. And that gives you the shape of the thing. And that process, that took a while. That, that, that was a, a, a few weeks of sending things back and forth every day and, and saying, how about this over here? No, now the storeroom doesn't line up with the reception desk anymore. That has to move. Well, if, there was, if the storeroom goes over there, then Madame D. Suite doesn't fit anywhere anymore. How are we going to do that? You know, so it's, 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 it's kind of um, logistical and, and, and uh, detail-oriented, but we start with that stuff. And then once that sort of falls into place and locks in and we go, okay, this is the map of, of what we're going to make. Then we can start talking about what it looks like and, and, uh, and doing the sketches and things like and that. And especially since your actors, and we'll talk a little about the actors, are very curious, they really use that space more than I, I've seen in a lot of other movies, the actors utilizing the space to tell their story. So is that something you worry about the blocking too? That's when you're talking to Wes. Maybe how are we going to block the Absolutely. shot of Ray Vine, you know, walking? Ray Fine's walking this way because he can't cross that. So hey, one thing I'll say about this set, it was huge. I mean, this was, and it was <clears throat> not just 360 degrees. It went up, you know, four levels. So when you were in there in the lobby of that hotel, and you know, it was all lit, and you know, the lighting was all lit through the skylights or practical lights everywhere. That Bob did an amazing job. <laughs> we were in that space, and you really felt like you 100% believed you were in a hotel because it was a building that you entered and the set went right to the walls of the building. It wasn't like you walk into a stage and go through and enter one of those doors. Like You walk in the main doors of this thing and you're like in this hotel. So it's like almost like a fully simulated environment. And I think it really affected... First of all, it was an amazing, like, comfortable space to shoot in. Like We were in there and we just like felt so... Everyone felt so good and positive. And actually, on the first days of shooting, we got like way ahead of schedule because it was so... <laughs> big and easy to work and everything was already lit we could just keep going and it was be like let's set a track down here and it was all but but the other thing that was amazing is all the extras and the actors and and these like hundreds of local people who were putting on these you know um this period clothing really just kind of felt natural in there it wasn't forced at all i think that was a credit to to everybody's work and your team's work um uh, can i just say one thing about the 70s version of the hotel because i just was thinking i remembered you know if the original version of the script it was thought of that in the 70s, 60s or 70s version, there, it would be more of a decrepit hotel. It would be like the same hotel that had now cracked and peeling and sort of long, like forgotten a little bit. And I don't know how we would have shot that in the order we did because you probably would have had to shoot it perfect and then destroy it. Mm-hmm. But what happened in all this scouting around and looking for hotels, we saw all these very sad buildings that used to be glorious and now have like communist drop ceilings and wood paneling <laughs> and really bad carpeting. And we took all these pictures of those, and then, you know, Wes and Adam started thinking, you know, that is something that's really present in Eastern Europe and in Europe, which is, the, which is something that is really a theme in this movie. It's a comedy. But I think it's also important to think this movie is about what happened to Europe in the, in the 20th century and what happened from this place that had wealth and promise and all the greatest intellectuals and artists, and you think of Paris in the 20s. And then you go through these phases of two different wars, and, you know, the Holocaust and communism. And suddenly there's this sort of broken spirit and economic problems and kind of a gloom. And I think that's something we wanted to capture at the beginning and end of the movie, this sort of poignancy of the lost time. And I think doing it in this communist style, and you can talk about that, almost was stronger than just having it be a crumbling building. 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I think so, and I, I think that something there's something that happened. I mean, to me, just watching the film too, about the way we shot it with the '60s first, and then the and then the '30s is that there's something. I mean, I, and I know not everybody feels this way, but I kind of like some of that architecture, you know, and the, and the orange yeah. plastic and stuff. I sort of like it. Um, but and 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 but then coming back to it at the end of the film has such an impact, I, I think, because you realize the loss of what had been there and you remember what had been there. Right. And it's been obliterated. And it's, it's not empty. just dirty, it's yeah. gone. It's sad. You know, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And especially since the Grown Zero loved the place so much. Mm. I mean, yeah. that, that's... Uh... So let's talk a little about character working in this space. So, Jeremy, uh, you have an actor known for playing a Nazi in Schindler's List, the war-torn lover in English Patient, uh, the greatest villain of all time, he who must not be named... Yes. So you're, you, you obviously think, you know, he's perfect for a Wes Anderson comedy. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's, we sort of thought James Bond and uh, Harry Potter and um, Grand Budapest Hotel were going to be the tent poles of, of the next year. But, what you um, see in him? Because he, he was amazing in this movie. I've, I, I never thought of him comedically as much, and I, you adore him in this movie. Well, you know, first of all, Rafe's, you know, he's been funny. And he's, he was in, in Bruges. He was in... Um, He's been on the stage. Funny, I know Wes had seen him in God of uh, Carnage, the, uh, the play that began the movie Carnage, um, where he was very funny. And I, and I think he'd also met him a few times through, through circles. And, and, you know, Rafe just is, first of all, this character has to be amazingly precise. And so you need to be a great actor to be as sort of precise and to be able to carry off that, execute that precision and things, that, you know, in, in, in the way that he does. Needs to have a physical physicality that he's very, you know, aware of and, and technical with needs to be able to speak eloquently and constantly. And, you know, if you saw in this movie how much time Mr. Gustav is speaking and whether he's reciting poetry or saying something in another language or turning and talking, he's going. And, you know, Rafe did not dub one line in this movie. There was not one single word of ADR from him in this entire movie. This was all done on the days we shot these scenes. So that's insane. Um, I think I'd budget you know, like have weeks of it, and there was none. And and I think it's also like if you meet Rafe, he's just got a spirit. He does have that spirit and lightness. You know, he's he's very focused and intense, but he's also got that childish kind of light in his eye. And I think that that combination was great. And you know, I know Wes had him in mind writing it, and I think he was writing words that he imagined this guy being able to say. And I, his first scene when we meet him, he's in the the pink wall, standing. He's directing all the staff and bossing him around. Uh, how was that designed? Because that was a critical scene. We totally get the feel of him, but working in that space. How do you work with an actor on that kind of thing, giving him the space or setting the design for him so he can kind of just move through it? Uh, absolutely. I mean, the, 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 a lot of times we're making uh, sets for a very specific camera move, you know, where, where something is lined up exactly just so because you know the camera's going to travel 27 feet and then it's going to turn this way or something but but that sequence a lot of it I mean it started out in front of the hotel but then it very quickly kind of moves through the lobby uh, which um, which was intentionally made uh, 360 so that we could go anywhere and do anything and we knew we were going to be crossing and zigzagging across it and and backwards and forwards and up and down and so uh, yeah the, 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 the idea was to to just finish it as, as fully as we could yeah. and one thing that Wes does with these movies and that we do I mean these you know it's, you know, a lot of times people think in the funnier movies, they're just about letting people improv and being loose and shooting with multiple cameras at once and, you know, banging together to get, you know, these moments from a spontaneous comet comedian. Um, this movie was very, very well planned because to make a movie like this, it, you know, there's, we didn't have any extra anything. So we didn't have any extra set. Every shot, basically, the, the set ended basically wherever you saw it at the edge of camera. 
and we didn't have um, any extra time to shoot, and we just had to be very, very efficient. So to that end, Wes, um, you know, uh, you know, spent months in advance, kind of figuring out how he wanted to shoot each scene. And every time we found a location with Adam, where Adam got a location sketches, those would sort of get factored in, so that we really knew coming in like what was going to be shot where, exactly where the shot would begin and end. And we actually edited together almost like a, an animatic of the entire film for reference, both for, for the actors, for the technical crew, for the art department, so that we, we had a way to know, like, exa- you know, we almost like we could watch a version of the movie that nobody would ever want to watch, because, but it was, it was an educational version to get us all really briefed and prepared in advance, so that on the day we went to a set, we, we knew we weren't going to hit that situation that can happen you know, on some movies where you are going along and you're like, okay, we want to shoot this, you know, we need to go wider. And they're like, well, that's the end of the set. And then you have to change your plan for the day. You know, we, we had to get the stuff on the days we planned it. We had all this logistics of all these movie stars that all had to come and go from this tiny town in the middle of nowhere. And it was really like a masterwork of preparation. I mean, some, a lot of stuff we learned from doing Fantastic Mr. Fox, which was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, an animated film, but we had to prepare everything. Mm-hmm. And I think this lessons of preparation and, and our team, which is like, our producerial team and production team and, and, and all these creative collaborators who work with us a lot, we've kind of developed systems that work for making the films the way that, the way that worked for, for Wes and that we keep refining those and we keep making new mistakes and fixing them. But, but we definitely have gotten good at making our movies you know, with our team. Yeah, I guess I can feel one of the trends in Hollywood is make everything green screen and there's no way that I don't think this movie can be made on a green screen. The actors would never be able to pull off feeling, not feeling the set, feeling the hotel. Right. Um, so let's talk a little about my, one of my favorite scenes, actually, uh, is the train car scene. Mm-hmm. It's a really tight space, so you don't have a lot of room, but, you know, I, who doesn't like the movie, Take Your Hands Off My Lobby Boy, the best line ever? <laughs> Aren't we all going to quote it now from now on? Or? Uh, but really, it's the, the key emotional part, I mean, it's just, he's, he's finally seeing a father figure, someone actually looking out for him. Uh, for you, how did you approach that scene? Because you didn't have a lot of room, but it was critically emotionally. Uh, uh, we, uh, we, we, we sketched it up and, 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 uh, and made it. I mean, it, it kind of... Um, I, we spent a long time in India uh, with, with Wes on Darjeeling Limited working in train cars. And, so, uh, and, um, and, and I art directed on that film. Uh, so I spent a long time drawing train cars, and, and, I, and I knew they were small, but I knew Wes was perfectly comfortable with the size, and uh, so that one, uh, that one actually we, we kind of, we, we moved through uh, uh, pretty, pretty quickly. The fun, the fun part was there's actually three different train cars. There's, yeah. the, 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 there's the first class car that, 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 you know, that line happens in. Then there's the sleeper, uh, there's oh, the right, sleeper later, yes. car. Uh, which was really fun because that one was a trick to figure out because it all had to be planned off that little mirror that was about this big. And again, which, which would be fine if you just built the whole thing. But, right. but we, we try not to do that. If we're not going to see the whole thing, we don't want to build it. So it was trying to figure out what the shot was going to be into the mirror to see what and then stop, don't build any more than that. So it was like a one-wall set. Uh, we just had one side to it. And, and, but it had just enough to get this reflection shot. Um, that one was a lot of fun. And then the third-class sleeper uh, had almost nothing. I mean, it was just a plank floor and some chickens and, uh, and two bunks. And, and that, was, that was it. But you know, Adam, you, you forget, Adam's selling himself short because there are actually like two other train sets because you know, the way that you know, West, we have these specific shots. So another shot West we wanted was, and speaking of green screen, we wanted a shot where they are like, we're going along and we're, they're looking out the window 
um, you know, as we see the army guys and the, you know, the out there. And that was basically Adam built a wall of the set with the benches with the guys sitting in the foreground, and we put that on a dolly, and we literally put a dolly track out in the middle of a snowy field in the middle of nowhere, and ran along with that and put the army <laughs> on the field. So that was a, that was another set done on a completely different day. So our AD department had to scramble, and then uh, then there was the train when they actually arrived to get on the train at the station. Where you see that train pull in and they're running, you know, they have to get out of the taxi and with, the, with the Bill Murray's car and go up to the top. And uh, that was like, you know, a thing where we were, couldn't find a train or a station we wanted. So Wes and Adam decided they would build a station. And um, I don't know, how, did you, how did you make that? What was that train made out of? Cardboard. Cardboard. It was just <laughs> it was the nose. Really, like, really, really fun, actually. <laughs> that was an example where he's like, we're not going to do any more than we see. So we realized that we need the train to just to sell it. We need to pull this much into frame. So it was just a cardboard nose of a train. With a steam pushed. machine. And, and a it was on a dolly track. A dolly track up there. So, <laughs> yeah, but there were tricks everywhere like this. And, you know, I didn't even remember until, I mean, this is what happens when it came out in March, but you were talking about green screen. Well, we did also a lot of the times in, um, when we saw Windows, we did that rear, project, uh, rear projection. Uh, front projection. Front projection. Front projection. We did yeah. a front projection. We found a front projector, which is an old technique where you use a half-silvered mirror and you, you project, you know, the image you want back here. And it's kind of what they used in, like, uh, in... Um, in uh, 2001, mm-hmm. and and we use that both in the Madame D suite, like when when Mr. Gustav goes out on the balcony, that whole background there. That was a real background that we went and shot in a, a place called Bad Shandau and mm-hmm. Carlo Vivari in the Czech Republic. And then we, you know, we printed those things onto slides, and um, and then we were projecting them live in the environment. So that whole scene where they're having breakfast, the background was not green screen; it was a set, but it was all physically there in camera. So you mentioned working with Wes on, you know, Darlene. Is how how much easier now is now that you've been partners so much? Are you guys just more in sync? You can totally know. Uh, you know, the, I think this, the, the the process that Jeremy was describing of of kind of how we do it has been getting uh, more streamlined, and, and it's it's sort of uh, second nature now. Uh, and, and so it's a very quick uh, communication, and it's um, and it's because he knows what you can do, and he, you know what he needs, and just kind of almost like nonverbal, and just like. Yeah, and you just start breaking things down and, and working through images, and uh, yeah, it's great. But on the other side, every single shot is practically a new set. Like, the hotel was the one day where we had, you know, five days to shoot in the same big set or whatever, but as soon as you get anywhere else, it's like, you know, Adam was talking about trying to keep up. It's like, okay, today we're at the monastery. Okay, tomorrow we're at the, you know, at the manual cover. Okay, the next day we're at the bathhouse. The next day we're in the atrium, and it was like each thing was like a new set every single day, so... It's never easy because, you know, like all great directors, he will, he has an endless imagination and will try and get the most of his imagination as possible onto the film and into the film. And we all, you know, believe in that vision and, and you know, really, really have a people who are working as hard as they can to get it done. And it's like, there's definitely, we're definitely barely staying afloat. It's just that we've gotten good at barely staying afloat. Yeah, that... that uh, what do you say? Yeah, that, that, but that, that, uh, that day where they shot twice as much as they were supposed to in the hotel was a hard one for me because, like I mentioned, we had nothing ready. Yeah, after getting, ahead, <laughs> getting ahead of schedule would kill us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Especially once I, uh, I also love the shot in the lobby where he gets arrested. Because yeah. uh, <laughs> that's actually what all of us would do. We would run in terror. Uh, but it was so classical. Uh, how much room did you have in that space? Because you had this great, for you, for the set, it was, like, it was a great moment. Mm-hmm. But how far back could you go? Like, how did you have to build the space for him? Because it was hysterical. 
It, it was. It's real. It's what you uh, see. It's what you see in that shot. You see that shot actually kind of shows most of the expanse of that right. of that of that space. And we were we were standing right by the reception desk, which was it? There was feet behind us. Yeah, there was fifteen feet behind us still. But I mean, that was that was. Uh, but how deep was that? Was that? Of the space. Like two hundred feet or something? Is it more than that? I, um, I, I I think the well of the thing, the opening was about forty meters. Right. Uh, you know, so then you add beyond that, so probably up to about two hundred for the whole the whole and deal. The, and they ran up the staircase, and actually the first take they did it. They just, Rafe just kept running all the way up to the top. We got to get rolling, and the entire, we were all in, in, in hysterics, I remember, because they were just running, and, and Edward, they ran all the way up to the top, and they came back down. And they're running in some kind of, like, you know, 1930s uh, tap shoes, as far as I can tell, <laughs> on carpet. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk a little about Tony uh, playing Zero, obviously. How difficult was casting that part? Because you have to have someone who can keep up with Voldemort. But, you know, and, and you know... Said it. <laughs> but no, you had to find somebody who can actually match acting chops, but he's a younger actor. So what did you see in him? I mean, you know, that was, that was the biggest... Ca- I mean, you know, weirdly enough, the biggest casting challenge was not assembling a list of, like, the most amazing actors in the world that I can't even count on two hands. Um, it was really trying to find somebody to be that Zero character because he's on screen, you know, 80% of the movie. And... Um, and so, really, we, we just sort of thought, you know, we did, we did a really good search for unknowns on Moonrise Kingdom. And, you know, Wes has been amazing at, at casting. I mean, whatever, you know, if you never saw Owen Wilson and Luke Wilson before in the Wes Anderson <laughs> film. And, um, you know, even like, the, you know, uh, Matthew Gray Goop, who was on Criminal Minds, was like our was a tiny intern character on um, Life Aquatic. So we have all these, you know, this, uh, he's very good at sort of seeing and having faith in people that they can do whatever it is he imagines, whether it's an actor or even a, a crew member. Um, but we knew we needed to look for like 2,000 options to find the right guy until we found him. And, and so we, the, in, he scripted as somebody from this fictional country that may or may not sound like it's somewhere in North Africa or the Middle East somewhere. Um, so we thought we would look, and we looked in, um, in London, thinking there's you know, a, big, a lot of different ethnicities of people in London. We looked in, um, in we had a person in Cairo, in Beirut, we had a casting person on the ground. We had somebody in Paris. Um, we had somebody, um, and we were looking all over the U.S. and, and Israel. And, and we, one thing is the person needed to be able to speak, you know, without much of an... With, 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 we didn't want someone like who had a French accent. That wouldn't mm. make sense, you know. And, um, but, we, but we looked around, and we, and we kept finding people, and we were doing street casting and finding guys in pool halls and whatever, and, <laughs> and anybody who... And like, we, we knew we'd done a good job when Octavia, who's one of our, uh, our uh, associate producer who lives in Paris, she's like, she went up to some guy in like a pool hall in Paris, <laughs> and she said, I want to talk to you about this movie. She's like, oh, yes, I already auditioned for it. <laughs> so we'd obviously thought we'd covered like every guy who was like in the 15 to 25 range. And, um, and then we, we found that, you know, that Wes got a couple of promising auditions from these two brothers from um, Anaheim, California, which is a crazy place. And they were, they were Latino heritage and Italian. And, um, but, you know, they both had a little something. And, you know, Wes auditioned both of them. And ultimately, you know, you know I know the same thing happened on Moonrise Kingdom. Like, you know, once we've seen an audition, it sort of sticks in Wes's mind. He'll keep looking at other people, but he keeps going back to that mm-hmm. one and saying, there's something about this guy. And, you know... Listen, he, it's in his mind. He, he, knows when he knows it when he sees it. So we brought uh, Tony over to Paris and read him together, spent a day with him. We really liked him. He's just got this... You know, the thing about him is he was a, he'd never been to Europe before. He shows up to Paris by himself, 17 years old, and he did not seem nervous to be, like, having dinner with us and hanging out and spending the whole day. And, 
I think that really kind of sealed it because, you, you know, Rafe could be intimidating someone. He's like one of the best, you know, lesbians out there. And, and, it, and it really worked. And also, because there was this a mentor-mentee relationship, I think it was, you know, I think Rafe took that seriously and Tony took it seriously that he could learn. And that actually helped the, the way the duo played on film. Uh, one of my favorite sets is the Mendel's, uh, the Mendel's Bakery, sure. and that, that actually the romance, a lot of it was there. Mm-hmm. How did you, how would you come up with the design? What was your thoughts on that great set? Uh, it, it was in two parts. It was in the front of house and back of house, which actually you know, a lot more of the film is is about front of house and back of house, you mean more broadly. But uh, but uh, Mendel's, we we broke it apart. And the front part was a was a location, and it was. Uh, Dairy store. It was a cheese shop in in Dresden uh, that had the most incredibly beautiful uh, uh, painted, hand painted tiles uh, about the milk industry uh, 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 through the entire place, and it was just just beautiful. And so that became the front. Then Wes wanted to be as different as possible when we went into the bakery part and into the back, uh, and and then upstairs to Agatha's uh, uh, room because they, she lives above the bakery. Um, and so there was this building uh, in in the town. It was kind of um, in the in the square where where we were working a lot, uh, and we started doing a lot of different sets in this in this space. And, and uh, Agatha's bedroom was upstairs, and uh, in a real attic. In a real attic. <laughs> and we did uh, we did the confessional in there, and we we did the back room of Mendel's, and about ten other sets in there as well, I believe. Uh, and and we made the uh, we made the bakery part of it, and it was all covered in soot and and trying to be kind of the the, the opposite of that incredibly beautiful uh, front of house space. And one thing is like there, you know, there's a, one thing that I think shows in the film is that it's you know, and we've had a lot of people who are European say you know you really captured something about Europe and you captured this Europeanism, the authenticity, and you know we did a lot of things to try and highlight that. Like you know, we we brought everybody to this. Town and we all lived together and tried to kind of create this atmosphere where everybody was almost live. You know, we were really living together. It wasn't like some guy flies in for two days. We had Willem Dafoe. He may have had a day of work and then three days off day of work. He stayed there for four weeks, all in his little town. It snowed for real every single day. Every location was freezing, so if we looked cold, we were. And um, and <laughs> things like that pastry. I was just going to mention the pastry. The, the pastry that that the courtesan chocolat that that was made there. That was something that we ended up using this lady who was kind of a real Agatha, like a, a woman who had a little pastry and chocolate shop out in the woods outside this town. And we, we went and found her and said, could she make something kind of like this? And she came up with this thing and I actually tasted it. I was like, this is good and it looks amazing. And it was a bit messy at first. And she shaped them and went through them. And like all the ones, she not only designed it, the days we were doing them, we'd say, we need 150 of these things. And she'd stay up all night with her husband and show up with, with a tray in the morning. And um, Teach the girl, teach uh, Sersha how to pipe them. So that was real, and we had a, a porcelain maker make the little pendant in, who lived in that town, who was trained in Meissen. So we tried to really capture all these little fragments that we learned from exploring and from living in Europe. And I feel like you can kind of smell the coal smoke in the movie, if, if you know what I mean. And um, and that I think was something that that made it really memorable for all of us. So Adam, it sounds like this could not be made in Los Angeles. On the studio lot. For you, especially, you would just go crazy. Uh, Let's talk about my my favorite sets and sequences, the Great Escape prison set. That's fun. Uh, It's just, it was an amazing set. How how was that kind of space for you to create? Well, it was a a real prison to start with. Right, it was a, it was a, a, an old uh, German prison in in Zittau, in this little town in, in Saxony. And what 
was, and, the, but, and then we modified it a lot, and we ended up building the cell, the cell in the middle of a hallway in, in, in the prison because there was, a, there was an area of the floor where they allowed us to drill a big hole so that we could do the scene <laughs> where, where the camera, where, where they dive down through. So then we kind of had to build the cell around where we could make that hole happen because uh, they don't just allow you to knock holes in the floor anywhere you want. We had to do it right in a specific spot. Um, <laughs> Uh, and then, uh, and then the escape sequence was just so much fun to do. We did most of it in that prison, a little bit of it in a couple other places. Um, but I, uh, you know, you, kind of figuring out all the different parts of like the the ladders were were, were a ton of fun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was one gigantic real ladder that you see them running by with that <laughs> that unfortunately weighed a couple hundred pounds, I think. And, uh, uh, and, and then there's the, uh, the second ladder is the one that goes by camera, and we, we made that as a miniature. It was like uh, this big. It was, yeah, it was about that big. It was in the foreground. It was like a cheat in the foreground. Yeah, it was still like 15 feet long, yeah. but, but about this wide. And, and, and all the Buster Keaton-ness of shooting in this like, prison with this like, 80-foot ladder. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. The great scene with that guy takes it for the team and kills all the guards. Uh, <laughs> and race reaction to it was brilliant. Uh, it's interesting, and it, a lot of, I know you have a lot of students who actually do production design. You know, comedy, you know, the sets are comedy pieces. That ladder was hysterical. You know, so just thinking about that. Uh, and you mentioned earlier, Jeremy, the, uh, Wes Anderson has a troupe of every famous actor wants to work with him. Or you already has his own posse. How much easier is that for you for casting, knowing that you, you could give a call and Harvey Cartel is coming? Well, well, when Harvey Cattell's coming, he comes with like a million ideas and crazy things that he wants to do. Like, I, I'm going to do the movie, but I need a, a no, a, I need a different nose, some different teeth. I should be bald. I should be covered in tattoos. So that's like, like okay. Uh, but uh, I'm like, okay, that's like eight hours in the chair in the morning. But it, but no, it's great. I mean, Wes has personal relationships with a lot of these guys, and you know, he gets letters from you know Jude Law, you know, saying, hey, I'd love to work with you one day. So. He, and I think he just files all that, and I think he casts people that he would think write for the movies, but also sometimes he writes with certain people in mind. And I think having a troupe, more like a theater troupe in his mind, is really nice. It's like, it's fun. You know, we make movies, we work so hard on these things, we kill ourselves for, you know, we disappear from our, li- our regular lives, and we really want to have the experience be something that we cherish, not just the movie. And I think having your, your, your friends, your, your, your friend whoever, you know, Edward Norton <laughs> is kind of like, it's kind of fun again. You're all back together. And I think they come a little bit back, not just for the, for the work and the creativity, but also for the camaraderie and the experience and the kind of family aspect. Well, that goes for the crew, too. I mean, I you all, one part crew. of the big happy family is much easier to work with. And, you know, you can yeah. trust the director. Uh, one of my students, uh, Maria, who is actually planning our recep- Mendel's theme reception right now, uh, had a question about the miniatures. You had a lot of miniatures in this movie. How was that for you, for the design point? Would it give you more creative space, more things you can do? Or uh, I, I think it did. I think it did in the in the vocabulary of the of the film. Yeah, uh, how it was for me. I, I, you know, this this really it's good that we're both here. This is great um, uh, because uh, Jeremy has has so much more experience with this coming out of Mr. Fox, and we started in full scale doing this a little bit in Moonrise Kingdom with the. Uh, with the flood sequence, uh, but here it became a, a really, uh, a really big part of, of the film, and uh, we had a, a, a miniatures construction team uh, right alongside the full scale construction team, and, and so we were building the uh, building the exterior of the hotel and the funicular and the observation um, 
the observatory, excuse me, uh, right uh, concurrently with, with uh, the rest of the scenery. But you know what was great was you, you know, oftentimes I, I started in visual effects background, so my first movie with Wes was Life Aquatic, and that we built a bunch of miniatures and things, but, you know, the, the standard way you work in, in the visual effects world is you shoot the movie, and then you, everyone's gone, and then you do the visual effects stuff, and because um, and you've got, you know, a year of finishing a movie. But in this case, we tried to time it out that basically we'd be ready to shoot the miniatures the day that we wrapped principal photography so that Adam could be designing them because if the art department's not designing them, they're from a different world. He designed them, we were building them concurrently and we, you know, he was able to check on those builds as, as he was, they were checking on the sets, which were mostly being done in Berlin. So they were <laughs> back and, forth. and then when we shot them, we just had so much fun shooting them because it was like silly. Like, you know, when, when I got the script, one of the things that was terrifying and Wes kept saying was like the Alpine sequence, as we called it. And we still hadn't figured out how to do this thing. And when, in the, if you look at the locked budget of the film, it just says, like, Alpine, you know, X, <laughs> X hundred thousand dollars, whatever it was. And, um, and we were like, well, maybe we're going to go to Swiss, Switzerland after we're the second unit team. Or maybe we'll get a stunt skier. Or maybe we'll, but anyway, we'll figure it out. And at one point, Wes is like, maybe we'll just do them with animation. <laughs> and I was like, what? So the, the hotel was already going to be a miniature and the observatory. But he was like, for the skiing stuff, maybe we'll just do it with a, with a little puppet. I don't know, okay, well, is that going to work? But, you know, he, he has such a, has a mind for it. And um, so we started these guys experimenting. And literally, we were doing stuff. And this is kind of maybe a good lesson for you guys as film students. But, you know, we were doing things that, the same way you would probably do it. And, you know, if you were just trying to figure it out yourself. Like, we took a camera. We, you know, we said, we, for miniatures, you know, you want to make it look like it's a POV of skiing. A real guy's head is, you know, a camera might be four feet up. If you wanted to be a miniature, you got the camera much lower to the ground. So we took, the camera, we took a red. Those were shot on a red. The rest was all on film. We turned it upside down. We drilled a little plate for it and put four, like, skateboard wheels on it. And we had the camera lens, like, this high above the ground. We attached a stick to the back of it. We put down this cotton, like, rolls of, like, you know, kind of the cotton you use for dressing set. And we, we cut broomsticks, and we bought some trees from a nursery and put all the branches on it. And we literally... Popsicle stick little huts and signs and just rolled it through there. And that's how we did I mean, that basically is it. And, of course, we, we added smoke and steam and we added the, the animated guy, composited in sometimes. But, really, we were using pretty low-tech techniques. And I think it was just trying to keep the sensibility and the design consistent that makes you not jump out on those. And, and it brings a comic aspect, obviously, because the, the things are hit, like, ridiculously fast for realistic <laughs> physics. Right. You guys are in Santa Barbara, you don't know skiing, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jerry, oh, I made a joke earlier about the Oscar, uh, what's going on with then. Uh, how has been the experience with all the nominations and all your team getting so, so many accolades? How's that experience been for you? I mean, it's, it's great. I think it's great that, first of all, Wes getting three nominations, which is amazing, and because mm-hmm. he really deserves He's one of the most creative and artistic and hardest working, and he's an amazing writer. I mean, he, he just... Has, he's, he's a one-of-a-kind guy, and that's, I think, why a lot of us like sticking with him, because we're like, no matter what happens, it's going to be interesting and, and great. I, I think I'm also proud of all these guys, because this, this is, I think, of all, it's such a well-crafted movie in every aspect, from the delivery of the lines to the written, writing of the lines to the look of the world. And, it, and it's not a realistic world, but it's a completely engrossing world that you sort of just fall into, and I think that's so hard to do from anyone who makes films you know how hard it is to do that and and to everybody to keep so such the right balance of like restraint and execution to like to make it work perfectly so obviously we're thrilled and proud and you know we came out early in the year but you know it is supposed to be for the movies of the whole year and I understand everybody puts them out at the end but we put out the movie at a time that we thought 
we thought Berlin was the perfect launching place because we made the film Berlin in Germany. Festival. It's winter in the movie. <coughs> and also, we just wanted the movie to do well. I mean, when you make a movie, you, the worst nightmare would be that no one ever sees your movie. So for us, it was getting it out. But we're obviously thrilled that this, is, this has happened, and uh, we'll, see, you know, we'll see how it goes from here on in. Yeah. Last year, we had John Ridley here, adapt, who won the adapted screenplay for 12 Years a Slave, and he was glowing about your production design. How was working on that movie? It was, uh, pardon my cold, by the way, I'm sorry, I'm getting over it. Um, uh, it, was, it was amazing, uh, that movie. Uh, it, was, uh, it was an incredibly intense experience to, to, be, uh, well, to, to, to be making Solomon's story and to be in Louisiana where these events took, took place. I mean, we weren't at the exact sites where, but we, we were only a few miles away, and... and uh, and the, the the history of the place is is, is still there, and, and that it um, it was a real honor to be part of that team, and, and uh, amazing to tell that story. Uh, one of my favorite things about this movie and a lot of Wes Anderson movies is this uh, impeccable attention to detail um, in the production design. Like I remember in one scene, Mr. Gustave and Zero were talking, and there was a cactus between them, and it so perfectly characterized the room. <laughs> Pretty cool, um, isn't it? <laughs> what is the process for finding those little details that make a huge difference? There, I mean, there's a there's a there's a bunch of different answers to that. Uh, you know, uh, uh, and I think the I think the first. Uh, uh, answer to it is uh, it, uh, it, that this comes from Wes, and he has that attention to detail in all aspects of filmmaking, and and he certainly has them in the, in the production design. So, and it's great that you brought that one up because he had that cactus in, like that cactus was in the first script I read. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, uh, so, so a lot of it, you know, he really comes up with these amazing details. Then another layer of it comes from when we're going and doing this location scouting. We, we, you know, we try to make the movie in the place where the movie is set. And then going around and looking at, at, at places that are never going to be locations that we shoot in, but they're kind of, uh, it's like a big research trip, and we're going and looking at places that are appropriate. And when we do that, we, we see things that, that I, you know... Jeremy and I couldn't make this stuff up. You know, it's, it's, the reality is so interesting. And you go and you see these things and you pull details from it. Um, signage, objects. Signage, objects, but even big things. Like, like, you know, in the 60s lobby, there's this egg crate fluorescent ceiling that just covers oh, right. the entire thing, right? Yeah. Which comes from a building in... Um, Marion Bad? Uh, was it Marion Bad or was it Prague? I can't remember which one, but... I forget which one. It but might have been one but you, you walk in and you go, oh my goodness, what is that? And, and, and then that detail, you, you pull it in it, and know, it comes into the film. But we collect those design details and things and, you know, inspirations and, you know, and then and literally there's people behind like, who work for Adam saying, going to this bathhouse we went to in Carla Vivari asking if they can borrow a mop bucket, you know? <laughs> I'm not kidding. You guys, no, no, we but, did that. But, uh, but at the same time, we also collect the people we find along the way. <coughs> so, like, literally, these people, like, we are going scouting, and we're looking, and we're in an insane asylum that is now shuttered in somewhere in Hungary that was somebody thought might be a good place to put the hotel, which, which was just <laughs> an amazing place for photographs of peeling paint. I'm going to start a website, I think. And, um, and, uh, and we meet these, you know, these, we start talking to the two security guards who are these two kind of just interesting Oh, guys, they seem to live in this little room, the little security room. There's a couple of cots and a TV and a burner, and it literally looks like something out of a weird movie. And, um, and there's a big box of books that are just like... Um, who's that guy who writes all the Western novels? Anyway, anyway, there's a ton of these English Western novels, and this one guy who speaks amazingly good English, but he's sort of toothless, and his, and his brother-in-law, and they live in these weird guys, and we talk to them for a bit, 
And we leave there, and Wes like, we should see if we can get those guys to be the doorman in the hotel. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we actually brought these guys to Germany from Hungary and gave them these amazing purple coats and things, and they spent a month with us or whatever. And they're in the movie. And everybody, all these bit parts in the movie, they're all cast by, I mean, you know, this, the, the guy in the... The guy who was banging on the vending machine in the 60s hotels, a guy that came up to us in a museum in Germany when we were looking at paint for painting, and he you know, came up and he was an audience, and we just bring all these people in. So it's a really a pastiche. Dog, yeah. yeah, and it's like a pastiche of our experience, and that's partly, to me, what makes it fun and memorable, because mm-hmm. it's like you see the movie and you're like, you just reminded of everything you did to make the movie, and it's, yeah. it's cool, and it's natural, and it's original, but it's also specific, and, you know. Hey, um, here, don't oh. here. Could you please uh, tell us a little bit about the process of raising finance for the film, especially with regards to uh, shooting in Europe and maybe tapping into European funds and whether that was kind of uh, a like, reason for shooting in Europe or shooting in Germany in particular? I mean, I think a lot of... A lot of I mean, we've been lucky enough, Wes has been lucky enough that, you know, we have another producer, who, um, Stephen Rails, who's been part of our, our team for a while, and he has a production company that, that has been, you know really supporting the creativity that Russ is making. So we've been in a good position to, to find the financing, you know, because, you know, um, for, for the last couple of movies. Um, but I do think, you know, when you're looking where to shoot, the calculus of whether or not the tax credits and the incentives apply, I think, you know, from my mind, it's always in our mind. Like, we're always calculating and thinking this versus that. At the same time, with something somebody like Wes, it's like we're not going to shoot the movie, you know... We're not the kind of doing like runaway production type of thing where we're going to go somewhere because we're going to save a buck. We're going for a place where we can find that building and that guy with the crooked teeth and that thing that we aren't going to find anywhere else. So I kind of think like if we hadn't found that, you know, we went to Germany because we found that building in Germany. Yes, once we were there, did we access all the incentives and things that we could access? Of course we did. And that became something, you know, you want to make it as efficient as possible so you have more money to do everything you need to do. But... That wasn't, and I don't think with a West movie would be a deciding factor. With other movies, obviously, it's, you know, you're in a different scenario. But I think, you know, it's not a compromising kind of vision. So I think we always want to do the best version of what we can do. And, and we're going to do that in the place that feels right. And also, that's a place that you want to spend some time because you're going to spend a lot of time there. So you want it to be an interesting experience. So we have a lobby boy question. If you could please stand, that would be awesome because you're, that's okay. the, the, the most awesome outfit Hi, I've ever seen. <laughs> This is my Halloween costume. <laughs> now, you wear that normally, right? Pardon? You wear that normally, right? That's oh, the shirt. Yeah, yeah, the shirt usually in suspenders. <laughs> now, my question was, what do you guys do with all the costumes and the props when you're done filming like that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll take them. Sure. And I also, if you're collecting people. For you. I think the costumes will be a little too big for you. Um, you know, there, I mean, there's some actually that get displayed. Like, we've got... Um, Adam, we talk about the props, but costumes, you know... A lot of them, Wes has kept in an archive, and I'm hoping one day, I'm sure we'll have some amazing, you know, show of them. Me but, too. but uh, there's also they get shown in like I think some of them are going to be on display at this um, FIDM, but I don't know what that stands for. Maybe Kelly can tell us. But there's a there is a costume institute sort of display of a bunch of the costumes from the films this year that's going up um, in in a couple, in a week I think in in LA at the Hollywood oh, Museum, yeah. so you can see some there, and uh, and they're also well made. And you put so much work into them, you don't want to like throw them away. So we you know we just keep them. <laughs> and the props, I mean, some get given away. Same, same story. Some are archived and, and some are given away. And, and some, and some everybody takes a key souvenir yeah. for themselves that, you know, yeah. our houses are cluttered looking like, you know. Like, yes. <laughs> and then the bigger pieces of scenery get broken up and, and recycled as best they can. And, and, uh... I, I really wanted the train car 
in my house. <laughs> I never, I never, I, I was kind of coveting it. I, I talked about it in the end. I think I took like that little pouch that goes on the oh, wall. Yeah. And then I, I, but I didn't know what to do with it once I got home because I didn't have a train card to put it in. But I, you know, <laughs> you do see these things and they look so good. They're not like, you look at them this close and they look good. And I, I'm always thinking like, how can it be that hard to renovate your house when Adam built this like this week? And uh, so I was sort of thinking I could have a train car like guest room, but I, I didn't get around to it. Well, we always end our show with the same question. Uh, so Jeremy, is there any, uh, growing up, we're a movie theater. Do you have any special movie theater experience? Do you remember seeing a movie in the theater that really grabbed you? Or? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've seen, I've of course seen movies in the theater. <laughs> I used to go every, I was in that era. It was like 252 Tuesdays. Um, but I, I actually, the mo- I think the one that kind of blew my mind the most just when I sort of saw a movie as a different thing than just seeing movies was when I, I went when I was too young to see Blade Runner with, with a friend's birthday party. He was like a bit of a nerdy older kid. And they took me to this birthday party. I saw it at the Vogue Theater in Vancouver where I grew up. And I saw, the, um, saw Blade Runner. I didn't really know what I saw. I just kind of, I felt like I was suddenly in this world. And I left there kind of, and I never, I can still remember the feeling of walking out of that theater now. Adam, what about you, anything? Uh, for me, you know, the, the very first movie I remember going to see in a theater uh, was Star Wars. Um, <laughs> which was a pretty good, you know. It's a pretty good start. It's a pretty good How movie experience. How many times did you go? Uh, I think I ended up going four times total, but that very first time was my first time in a theater. I had to, like, you know, mm-hmm. sit like that on the seat to see over the person in front of me. <laughs> it, was, it was great. And pretty awesome production design. Yeah. Uh, before green screen, because if I'm not mistaken, most of it was real sets. Uh, and, a, and a and lot miniatures. of miniatures. Miniatures, yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah, yeah. it's... Uh, <laughs> Well, I mean, I want to. Th- all right, so I want to thank you all for coming. We have. Uh, since you guys have been so awesome, we have a Mendel's theme uh, bakery reception waiting for you in the lobby. Uh, I want to thank the Pollock Theater interns who put the show together. They're awesome, and they keep me from stressing out when I'm preparing. And a special thank to Fox Searchlight and Kelly Bike. Kelly. Gave us 12 Years a Slave last year. It was the most, one of the most wonderful experiences for us sharing that movie week for the Oscars. And it's led to so many more opportunities like sharing tonight with, giving our interns more opportunities to show. So we really thank you, Kelly, for making Fox Searchlight all this possible. Uh, so enjoy our pastries. They're, they're really tasty and they're in our lobby. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.